0: Well, good morning. Good morning. Way better than last service. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, my name is Trevor Cook. I'm the youth director here at Deer Creek Church. Wow. Okay. That was awesome. That's new. (laughs) And for those of you who do know me, uh, it's been a while since I've been up here. And uh, a lot has happened. The biggest thing being that I got engaged to the beautiful Melissa Lansky, who's sitting right here with her family supporting me. Uh... I proposed on a Friday, and we were both puking our guts out on Saturday. Uh, A violent virus ran through not just us, but both sides of our family. Her dad just looked at me and said, in sickness and in health, buddy, this is what you have signed up for. So yay, marriage. Uh, But it's good to be back up here. And if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. Or if you want, pull it up on your phone. If you don't want to pull it up on your phone, or if you don't have a Bible, you'll actually be able to follow along on the screen. But I figured let's start off today by reading from God's Word. And it says this in Luke chapter 5, verse 27. And after this, he, he being Jesus, went out and saw a tax collector named Levi, and sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. I love this story, and we're going to dive into it this morning, but before we do, let's bow our heads and pray to the God that we are here to worship this morning. God, we love you so much, and we thank you for this opportunity to gather together as the body of Christ, as the church. God, help us right now as we approach your word. We ask that you give us insight, give us wisdom, and give us understanding. We love you, God, and we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So, for those of you who do know me, you know that I have two older brothers, and they're absolutely amazing older brothers. I couldn't ask for better brothers. Uh, And I actually had the privilege of living with my brother Jordan when we got out of high school. And so, my brother Jordan lives in Tucson, Arizona, which is where I grew up. And uh, my brother and I got to live together uh, right after high school. And so, through college and through the beginning of our new careers... Uh, we were able to just do life together. And I remember this one time, my brother Jordan had just finished college and he was starting his career as an outside salesman. And he was trying to get healthy and so he was eating healthier. He was also uh, creating better sleep patterns and, and sleeping more. Uh, he was also working out and playing basketball, which me and my family love. We are a basketball family. Go Nuggets, anybody? Yeah, Nuggets, better again than last service. That was awesome. Yeah, go Nuggets, they're, they're, they're awesome. But our family, we're a basketball family. And I know that's controversial, saying that in Bronco country. But we love basketball. And so my brother started uh, playing basketball again. And then he actually had one of his friends invite him to an open gym. and said, hey, you should come play with us. So my brother uh, drove all the way to the other side of town to go and play basketball. And it's equivalent to basically driving from Highlands Ranch all the way to Broomfield. It's absolutely brutal. But my brother really, really wanted to play basketball with his friends. And so he got up there and they started playing And then about halfway through, my brother went for a steal, and his knee started hurting. And so he stepped off the court, and he kind of walked on it. He tried to stretch it, but it really, really hurt. And so he decided, I'm not going to play anymore. I'm just going to drive home. So he hopped in his truck, and he started driving home. But as he was driving home, it hurt his knee too much to press on the gas pedal on the brake. So he pulls over into a random parking lot, and he calls me, and he says, Hey, Trevor, I I hate to do this to you, but can you come pick me up on the other side of town? And being the good younger brother that I am, after complaining for about 10 minutes, I eventually hopped into the car and I drived a brisk 50 minutes to the other side of town. And I went and I picked him up. And he, he limped out of, the, out of the truck, and he got into my car, and we started driving back. And he started you know, kind of replaying the moment for me, and we were talking about it. And he said, but I don't think it's that serious, though. I think it's just a sprain. I'll, I'll go into the doctor, and I'll get it checked, and I, I think it should be fine. So we kind of left that, that night thinking it was no big deal. But then he, he got home, uh, and he woke up the next day, and he called the doctor. He made an appointment. He went in. And the doctor, you know, did some things with his knee and examined the knee and, and all of that. And he just says, uh, Jordan, I, I hate to tell you that you, you don't have a sprain. Actually, you've torn your ACL, your MCL, and your meniscus. Yes, that is the appropriate response because it was absolutely terrible. It was brutal to watch my brother go through that. And so I think the reason why I share that is because I think many of us, if not all of us, have been in situations like that where something is a much bigger deal than we think it is. And in fact, I actually think sin can work this way. Whether you're a Jesus follower or not, sin can trick us into thinking that we are healthy when in reality, we are not. In other words, we think our sin is a sprain when in reality, we've torn major ligaments and we need major surgery. And so when Jesus calls Levi to follow him, it seems like physically everything is fine. He is, everything materially, he is, he is fine. But in reality, he is sick spiritually. And so looking again at verse 27, it says this, and again, you can follow along on the screen. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at this tax booth. And Jesus said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, Levi rose and followed him. Now, you may or may not know this, but tax collectors uh, were actually despised by the Jewish community absolutely despised because many tax collectors were Jewish and so they were perceived as traitors to their own community because they worked for the Roman government and the Jewish people didn't like that. So tax collectors within their own community they were thieves and they did not have a lot of oversight so they would tax their own communities more and by doing so they would oppress their own people. This is something back then that was socially acceptable within the tax collecting community. And most of them became very wealthy by taking more than they were supposed to. And so therefore, their, their, their communities absolutely didn't like them. So Jesus, being this Jewish rabbi, decides, I'm going to go talk to this tax collector named Levi. This man, so horrible, so despised that people, when talking about tax collectors, they didn't just say, oh, uh, you're talking to sinners. They actually singled them out and said, no, tax collectors and sinners, much like we see in our passage here. And so Jesus approaches Levi and says to him, hey, come follow me. And this is important because Levi doesn't just leave his tax booth for a few hours to go learn from Jesus. Scripture tells us that Levi left everything. This man left a very stable, stable job that if it hadn't already, was going to make him a ton of money. And so Levi does, though. He, he leaves. And we actually see earlier in chapter 5 of Luke, we see uh, Peter, James, and John do the same thing. These are men who are fishermen. They leave everything that they have in order to follow Christ. But the difference between Levi and them is that they could have gotten their jobs back. In fact, we actually see in John chapter 21, after Jesus' death, they go back to their old profession, right? They go back to being fishermen. But the difference is, is that Levi, when he leaves this post, there is no going back. There is no going back. And now not only did his own community hate him, but the Roman government probably hated him as well. I don't think the Roman government is gonna look fondly on a guy who leaves his post to follow this radical person who is gonna be a threat to their establishment and begin a revolution. So when Levi leaves this tax booth, there's no going back. And so after this occurrence, Jesus and Levi, they leave together. And before Levi walks away from everything, he decides, I'm gonna throw Jesus a party which is what we read in verse 29. And it says this, And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes, they grumbled at his disciples. Notice not Jesus, but they grumble at the disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And so Levi throws this huge party for Jesus. And not only was Jesus and his disciples invited, but Levi actually invites his tax collecting community. And so I love that Levi did this because when he came to know Christ, he didn't just disregard the people that were in his circle. No, instead he said, man, I think so highly of Jesus that I'm gonna throw this party for him. I'm gonna throw this banquet for him because I want these tax collectors, these other people who are outcasts, I want them to know and trust and love this wonderful friend of mine. And so this is a radical moment of reconciliation between Jesus, this Jewish rabbi, And Levi, this tax collector. And the Pharisees don't see it. The Pharisees can't imagine why Jesus is spending time with these people. In fact, the Pharisees probably were disgusted with the fact that Jesus and his disciples were spending time with them. This was a scandalous moment for Jesus to be eating and conversing and lounging and inviting these people into his circle. And funny enough, the Pharisees actually believed that when you sat and you, or when you were around tax collectors, when you conversed with them, that actually made you unclean. We see that uh, earlier in, in the book of, of Luke, in, the, in chapter 5, we actually see that uh, Jesus touches a leper and heals him. And to the Pharisees, that would have made Jesus unclean. And the same is true of tax collectors. That would have made Jesus unclean, just being around him. Yet Jesus does this crazy, crazy thing that when he is around people who are seemingly unclean, he actually heals them. Sometimes physically, but always spiritually. Jesus always heals them spiritually. But the Pharisees don't get this. They ask, why would he do this? Why would he make himself unclean? unclean by parting with these extortionists, these thieves, these liars, these terrible people. Well, rather than the disciples replying, Jesus actually steps in and replies for his disciples and says in verse 31, Jesus answered the Pharisees, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Why is Jesus parting with these people? Because he loves them. Because he wants to heal them. And the reality is, is that Jesus, the great physician, calls not those who think they are righteous, which is what the Pharisees thought. The Pharisees thought they were righteous because they followed the law. They thought that they were healthy, but really they were sick. They needed Christ, just like the leper from earlier, just like Peter, James, and John, and just like Levi. The truth is, Jesus calls those who are sick and those who are willing to admit that they are sick. He calls those who know they need help. He calls those who are willing to recognize and know that they're not righteous, that their righteous deeds are filthy rags. The difference between Levi and the Pharisees is that Levi being in the presence of the Son of God recognizes his spiritual sickness, his unrighteousness, uh, his need for Jesus. But the self-righteousness of the Pharisees blinded them to the righteousness of Christ. The self-righteousness of the Pharisees blinded them to Christ. So a question I want us to wrestle with this morning is, do we recognize that we are sick? Do we recognize that we are sick? Do we recognize also that maybe sometimes our own self-righteousness blinds us from the righteousness of Christ? Whether you are a Jesus follower or not, you are sick. And so when I look at this story, there are really three things that stand out to me. And the first one is this, that we get to admit that we are sick, that we are unhealthy, that we are broken, that we are sinful. And I believe that many of us know this, even if we don't want to admit it. And if you're anything like me, maybe you try to cover up your sin with acts of self-righteousness. For example, I'm a neat freak. Is anybody in here a neat freak? Yeah? No? Okay, one one person? Okay, I'm a neat freak. Uh, Pastor Dwayne is also a neat freak. Sometimes we just get together and we talk about how dirty Pastor Tim is and how how unorganized he is. He's not even here to defend himself this morning. Um, But I don't like things to be clean. I need things to be clean. And my favorite thing is when people come over to my house. And they walk in through the sliding glass door, because I live in a basement, and <laughs> they walk in through the sliding glass door, and they all say the same thing. Wow, it's, it's so clean in here, you know, like as if a guy can't be clean. Like, wow, it's so neat. This is, this is amazing. And I, I love that reaction. I always had the same response, which is, oh, thank you so much. Please take your shoes off before walking in. Um, <laughs> but the reality is, is that I'm actually not clean. I'm not clean. the The reality is, is that there are dog pee stains under my rugs. Uh, my bed sheets haven't been washed in weeks, and also the countertops were not that color when I got there. I might seem clean, but I am not clean. It is the perception of being clean, and the same is true of my of me and my spiritual life. Sometimes I might appear righteous because of my deeds or by what I say and do, but the reality is, I'm not doing those things to bring honor to God. I'm bring I'm doing those things to bring honor to myself to make myself look good and the truth is is that I hate that like I hate that part of myself so much and I don't mean to be a a pharisee empathizer but I kind of get it this is something that they struggled with this is something that I still struggle with and even though I might be able to fool others there's no fooling God God knows my heart he knows what goes on in here in my heart and mind And he knows that my self-righteousness blinds me from his righteousness. The truth is I'm sick. And maybe you struggle with the same thing. Maybe you try to be perfect, but you know you're imperfect and it's just eating away at you because you just try to have this life and keep this image. But the truth is God does not shy away from our sin. God enters into the mess of our imperfection with us. And so as you look around this room this morning, if you're a first time guest, just know that this is not a health club for the righteous, but this is a hospital for sinners. This is a hospital for sinners. Each of us are battling with multiple sin and heart issues. Each of us are having to confess and ask God for forgiveness daily. No one in this room is perfect. And for those of us who have surrendered our life to Christ, we have the joy of knowing that God is at work in our hearts and in our lives And also that God, like any good doctor, is going to tell us what we need to hear and not what we want to hear. This is not a sprain. You've torn ligaments and you need major surgery. The good news is that we don't have to perform the surgery ourselves. God does it for us. God helps us and strengthens us through the Holy Spirit to overcome our sin. And so working through our sin, it is a painful process, but it is necessary. In fact, my brother Jordan, after he hurt his knee, was in physical therapy for a year. And if you've ever been through physical therapy, you know it is a terrible process. And if you're a physical therapist, God bless you, because you are literally putting people in pain all the time. And it's absolutely excruciating. But at the same time, if you've ever gone through physical therapy, even though it is painful, you know that it is good for you. You know that you need it. And the same is true when God works on the sin in our life. It is difficult. But it is so necessary. And if we're going to follow Christ, we have to be willing to admit that. The second thing that we get to do is this we get to surrender our lives. Levi left everything to follow Jesus, but only after throwing Jesus this huge rager. And when Levi left everything to follow Jesus, he was given a new name. He went from tax collector of the Roman government to disciple of Jesus Christ. He went from having tons of earthly gain to having heavenly purpose. Surrendering your life to Christ is the greatest decision you will ever make. And when you surrender your life to Christ, your sins are forgiven, you are covered in the righteousness of Christ, you are reconciled back to God, and you are a child of God. And also, on top of all of that good news, the good thing is, is that you're not alone. Like, we look at this passage by itself, Levi was not alone. Levi left everything and everyone he knew to throw this big, or after throwing this big party for tax collectors and seemingly sinners. But he also made new friends who surrendered their lives to Christ as well. Yes, he left everything, but Levi had the 11 disciples just like you and I have the church. And just like Levi and the disciples as they were following Jesus learned every single day what it means to follow Christ, so do we as the church when we come together weekly. It's a tough process, but it is such a good process. So what does this look like for us? Well, here at the church, we have a saying. We're not a church with small groups, but we are a church made up of small groups. Shameless small groups plug. Sorry. At least I'm not talking about tithing. Um, God does not call us to be single agents in the kingdom of God. No, God calls us to join a family, to join the body of Christ, to be in that body of Christ, not just once a week but multiple times a week, and here at the church, we have seen God change hearts and lives through small groups and I can attest to this as someone who is in small groups, but also as someone who is the youth director and Here comes the the shameless youth director plug. Uh, In our youth ministry on Sunday nights and on Wednesday nights, uh, we focus on getting students into small groups. And I understand youth groups are normally known as, you know, an event-driven ministry where kids, you know, drink a bunch of soda and get all hopped up on sugar. And then, you know, you just hand them back to their parents and their parents don't like you for getting them all riled up before they're supposed to go to bed. And that's what youth ministry is normally known as. But what we do here is that we focus on small groups. We don't boast in what God does at some big event where no kids hear the name of Jesus. We boast in what God does in small groups. When we see students' lives change in small groups where a caring adult listens to them, points them to Christ, shows them what it means to follow Jesus, and then they're also in it with their peers, sharing their insecurities, sharing their doubts, and doing that together as the body of Christ. Because here's the thing, we live in a culture where, yes, it is much easier to sit in the back, and no offense to the people in the back, uh, it is easier to sit and hide. It is so much easier to sit and hide but God doesn't call us to that. And in fact, if that's where you're at right now, I just want to encourage you, uh, if you've never been a part of a small group, you've never really joined into this authentic community, I want to encourage you that you're going to miss out on what God's not only going to do in your life, but in the lives of those in the church. For those of us who call ourselves Christians, who have surrendered our life to Christ, we know that this is not a one-time thing. This is a daily occurrence, and we don't do this alone as individuals, but we do it as a community, as the body of Christ, much like the disciples. And here's the last thing that we get to do. We get to repent of our sins. Jesus has not come to call those who think they are righteous. He has come to call those who know they are sinners to repentance. And repentance is simply this. This is how I describe it to our our youth. it's, It's turning away from your sin. You're walking towards your sin, but then it's turning towards God. You, you walk away from your sin and you walk towards God. And as Christians, our lives are marked by repentance. And this is not something that we have to do. This is a gift from God. This is something that we get to do. It's something that he has bestowed on us. And repentance is not like, you know, when I have to pull two students into my office because one person, one student said something mean and nasty about the other student and there's hurt feelings. When that process happens, it's absolutely worse. They begrudgingly kind of come in and I have to make them, t- them talk about it. And then I force them to apologize to each other, even though you can tell they don't really mean it. And then weirdly enough, they walk away from that process, hating each other more, but then also hating me for making them talk about it. Repentance is not that. Repentance is something that we get to do. It is something that we do willingly, and it is something that we do humbly. Sure, we might drag our feet sometimes away from our sin, but the reality is, is that when we repent, it's because we hate our sin so much, because we are in Christ. And the sin that used to bring us artificial joy, we now hate and we can't stand. We can't do anything but go towards Christ. And when we repent, we can repent with joy, knowing that God loves us. God loves us despite the fact that we have sinned against him, that we have rebelled against him. And also, we can repent with joy, knowing that he is going to help us turn from our sin and turn towards him. Make no mistake, this is not something that we do with a little can-do attitude. This is something that is led by the Spirit. Because the Spirit is at work in us, we want to turn from our sin. You see, Jesus met Levi at the place that encouraged his sin. And Jesus does the same for us. And in the presence of Jesus, Levi became aware of his sin. He turned away from his tax booth, the thing that encouraged him to lie, to steal, and to oppress people. And Levi turned from his tax booth and he turned towards Christ. And the same is true for us when Christ reveals himself to us we are able to walk away from the sin that enslaves us. Yes, in his presence, we understand the depth of our sin, but we also experience the vastness of God's mercy. And through the help of the Holy Spirit, God helps us to turn away from our sin and our former life and towards this new life in Christ. And so I want to end by encouraging you guys this morning and by reminding us that just as Jesus calls Levi, Jesus calls us. Yes, Jesus calls us to admit that we are sick. Yes, Jesus calls us to uh, surrender our lives to him. Yes, Jesus calls us to repent of the sin that makes us sick. But Jesus also calls us into healing. Jesus calls us into mercy. Jesus calls us into grace. Jesus calls us into life and love and eternity with him. And the truth is, is that what we turn towards in Christ is far greater than what we leave behind. Let's pray. God, help show us where we are sick this morning. And in the areas where we are struggling with sin, where we are struggling with sickness, God, may we surrender that to you. May we give that to you. And God, may we run towards your loving arms, which are full of love and grace. God, help us to repent of our sins. Help us to not sin against you anymore. And God, when we turn from our sin, help us to run towards you who has an infinite amount of love and mercy and grace. We love you, God. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.